All right, Psalm 58 through 60. See if we can hit all three Psalms this morning. If you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Psalms, uh, verse by verse. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to open your word, your love letter, to have it on our laps. It's, it's just so amazing, Father, that we have your word. As we know, most of this world does not. And so, Lord, we just ask your blessing upon this time. And that this we just won't have an exercise of another Bible study. But we would re-surrender our lives to you this morning that we might continue to be transformed into the image of your Son. A Bible study means nothing if we don't allow it to impact our lives. So again, Father, let us not have an exercise, a religious exercise, but let us go deeper in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 58, to the chief musician set to do not destroy. So it was a known song. Again, remember the Psalms are songs. And so David says, hey, I want you to to set this to do not destroy. A mictum of David. Uh, This is a psalm that was probably written towards the end of King Saul's life. Or when David was about to become king. And unfortunately, David inherited various problems from King Saul. Saul let the kingdom fall into disobedience. Political corruption was prevalent. And the effects were very discouraging, as we will see. So, Psalm 58, verse 1 Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? A few simple questions that carry with them very severe consequences. You see, the judges had left off true judgment, and those who should have been teaching others about the truth of God's word were silent. And as I thought about that, it sounds a lot like America today when we're debating about judges and who is right and who is wrong. Well, David is going to tell us that both of these are wrong and David's desire was to right those wrongs. Verse 2, no, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. David answers his own questions because he looked at the fruit. He looked at the fruit that was coming forth from the people. You see, Jesus said that you would know a tree by its fruit. And this is very important for you and me as we leave that slide up there for a few moments. This is very important for you and me because the world will often say, not even knowing the Bible, they will say, well, who are you to judge? Or I thought you weren't supposed to judge. Ask them for the scripture reference. Just say, really, do you have a scripture reference for that? I'd like to read that. And obviously they're not going to, but that's just common for them to throw that out. No, we are called to judge. Not for salvation, whether a person is saved or not, but we are called to judge the fruit because Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit. You will know that. And so that's very important for us to who we hang around, who we fellowship with, who we're going to marry, All of these things are very, very important. So we do need to be fruit inspectors. And David took notice of the fruit and spoke out 
about what was taking place. And so it's okay for us to even speak out about what might be taking place. But this is where we want to work in Ephesians. Speak the truth in love. We do need to speak the truth, but we do need to be loving about it. But love is also firm, and there's also called tough love. You see, wickedness and violence had overtaken the nation. So in verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. That's kind of harsh, isn't it, David? Well, it's not hard to understand how that could happen when the scriptures clearly teach us that every human being is born with a sinful nature. Every single one of us in this room. It's amazing how you don't have to teach a child to lie. It, It comes quite naturally. You don't have to teach a child to push. That again comes quite quite naturally. Or to take a toy from another child. It's amazing. All the toys that we have in our house, when the, when the grandkids all come over and they're very close in age, there's a pile of toys. And, and just inevitably, I have to go in after about five minutes go, look, look at all the toys that you are blessed with. Look at all the toys around you. And it's just amazing how one child is holding a toy and now another one wants that when there's 50 other toys right there in front of them. And so I have to break it down for them. Stop, or we're going to put them all away, and you guys can pick a corner to sit in. Enjoy the toy you have, and look for another toy to play with. It's it's that basic. And all of a sudden, oh, okay, Papa, okay. You don't have to teach a child to talk back, or to blame somebody else. It all comes quite naturally, because it is natural. Their poison is like a poison of a serpent. So David goes on to give a couple analogies. They're like the deaf cobra that stops its ear, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. So David equates the lies of the wicked with the venom of a snake, which we're all familiar with that being out in Arizona here which can obviously be lethal, or the cobra that will not dance for the charmer. You see, the snake is not going to do, the snake is going to do what it wants to do, ignoring the one who is trying to manipulate it. Trying to manipulate it. And the wicked do the same. That's why it's called politics. How can I manipulate you to get you to vote for me, to get you to think that I'm the one that you want, politics. It's just manipulation. This is the situation that's happening in Israel. Verses 6 through 9. Break their teeth in their mouth, O God. (laughs) Don't want David praying for you when you're not following the Lord. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them flow away as waters which run continually. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be as if cut in pieces. Let them be like a snail, (laughs) which melts away as it goes. Like a stillborn child of a woman, that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as in his living and burning wrath. So David here gives a bunch of various negative illustrations in these verses. It's pretty obvious as we read them. 
But what I thought about this is, is David puts his heart into prayer. It's not just a, a dinner prayer that we might pray reti- you know, repetitively. No, he actually prays sincerely. And even though it's kind of bizarre as we read it, it's not how we're instructed to pray, obviously. It does show me that, that he was intense in his prayer life. He thought about it. He went to God. And I would encourage us to maybe look at our prayer life, even as we read these verses and go, wow, that's kind of harsh. Uh, yeah, it is. But again, get the bigger picture that David was a man of prayer. And for you and me, especially us men, we need to be men of prayer. I think for women, because women are relationship orientated and women like to talk, it's easier to build that relationship. For us guys, we're more task orientated and a lot of guys don't like to talk. We like to get things done. So we kind of look at prayer as, well, what's getting done with prayer? I'm just talking. No, you're developing that relationship with God. And in your marriages, I just cannot cannot stress this enough, that as marital couples, you need to be praying together on a regular basis. Because marriages are being attacked more than ever before, and it's going to get worse. And if you're looking at dating someone, one of the main aspects that you need to look at is, does my mate pray? Not a dinner prayer. That's easy. Or my future mate. Do, do they desire to pray? You know, I say let's pray. Do they, do they kind of make a frowning face or, well, what's the, why? What's the point of that? That's a good indication right there that they're not your mate for life. Just ask a simple question. Because this is something that we can all improve on, myself included. But I just wanted to point that out, that David was a man of prayer. And we can see that right here. How about for you? How about for you ladies? Do you spend time in prayer as well? Now, as we look at these verses, we could think that, you know, man, David, he's, he's praying to God like David, like God is the Godfather. And he's not the Godfather. He is Father God. And we'll take vengeance or pass out a righteous judgment upon those who are doing wrong because he is a fair God and will judge accordingly. We can be guaranteed of that because we have the whole counsel of God. David didn't have the whole counsel of God. David's writing the counsel of God. Which I'm so glad, even as we read the Psalms, that David expressed himself so well. This is not me at all. At all. Not even a tenth of the, of this. But I'm so glad he did because I can understand it, I can appreciate it. And that's sometimes my prayer life. Lord, just kick their teeth out. I'd really appreciate it, just kick their teeth out. But that's obviously not good, so I gotta back it up and go, wait, 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 wait. Let's go back and, no, Lord. Just drive them into the ground. That would be better. Just drive them into the ground. And I have prayed that. I've prayed that for my own kids. Lord, just drive them into the ground. Crash and burn them so that they'll look up. Because most of the time, the only time we look up is when we do what? When we crash and burn. What we're in the end of our rope. When we realize, I don't, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. God, I really do need you. Verses 10 and 11. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. And this might not happen until after we're dead. We're in heaven. Because in heaven we're going to say, Revelation 16, 7 says, And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. You see, the Old Testament, because we like to judge and we like to have a button in our car that we could push and nuke the person in front of us. But God says, 
that he takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. In the Old Testament, God makes that perfectly clear. I mean, he sent Jonah to the Ninevites. I mean, toast the Ninevites, God. Why would you send me to the Ninevites? And Jonah, as you know the story, he didn't want to go. But God said, no, I love them. They're my creation. They're made in my image. They're not my sons and daughters. Like even now, there's a modern philosophy, and it is philosophy, it's not biblical, that every person is a child of God. That's not correct, that's not biblical. We're a child of the devil. Jesus made that perfectly clear. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, then we become a child of God. But every person is made in the image of God. So every person is very, very special and precious. And that's why we want to go and reach every person. So that they might become a son or a daughter of God. But David says here, the righteous shall rejoice. One day, it might, and it might just be in heaven. When he sees the vengeance, he shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous, surely he is God who judges in the earth. Here David paints a very graphic picture of God's judgment. It is like in when a battle, and David would have been very familiar with this, when a battle had taken place and the victor goes out to spoil those who had been killed in the battle. Blood would get on their sandals as they went about stripping the victims of their goods. And when the time of judgment comes, even the unsaved, even the unsaved will acknowledge that there is a God in heaven who cares for his children. And guys, that's who we have in heaven. Our Father. He will take care of us. He will judge in truth and in sincerity. Psalm 59. This psalm was written out of the situation that happened in 1 Samuel 19. So let's look at 1 Samuel 19. 1 Samuel 19, and we can just read over it real quick. Verses 11 through 18. So again, there's a few psalms where we can actually get the exact reason behind the song. So 1 Samuel 19.11, and if you're not familiar, we have slides, and I would encourage you to read from Genesis to Revelation and become very familiar with your Bible. 1 Samuel 19.11, Saul also sent messengers to David's house. Now David has become the son-in-law to the king. He's married Michal, or Michal, however you'd like to pronounce it, to watch him and kill him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. Sounds like a teenager running away from home. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. Fine, he's sick. That's fine. Bring the bed. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. 
Then Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? She was so afraid of her own father, she had to lie about the situation. This guy, King Saul, is incensed with killing King David. So back in Psalm 59, to the chief musician said to do not destroy a victim of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. So as we read this psalm, we've just read the story, we know exactly who David is talking about, who David is singing about. King Saul and those around him who are trying to take his life. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. You see, David, as you know, since we've been talking about this, David had not committed any sin. But King Saul knew that he was anointed and that he was going to be the next king of Israel. And King Saul wanted his own son, Jonathan, to become the next king. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me and behold. You therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. At evening they return. They growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. So we see here that David describes those who were coming after him that they were like dogs. And this is a term that was primarily used in regards to the Gentiles. These servants of King Saul were instructed to wait for David and kill him when he showed himself. But they didn't take into account that David was God's chosen instrument for the kingdom of Israel. Even though David was one of the commanders, one of the highest commanders in all of Israel, they quickly turned against David. You see, King Saul was on his way out focusing more on David than on the nations around him who wanted to destroy Israel. But David knows that God will have the final laugh and that he will put the nations, and this is so applicable even to today, as Iran, if you have an opportunity to share, make it perfectly clear, Islam is not a peaceful religion. Iran totally wants to annihilate Israel. They've said it over and over and over again. They're not kidding. That is their desire. Hezbollah wants to destroy Israel. Not kill a few Israelites. They want to push them into the Mediterranean Sea. They just don't want to go back to the 67 borders. They want to go back to pre-1948 when Israel was not a nation. Don't let anyone kid you. They want to totally destroy Israel including those who are overseeing them in their rightful place. But God will have the laugh. He will have the last laugh. Because obviously he knows. His word makes it perfectly clear. 
Though all nations come against Jerusalem, I will cut them in pieces. God says, I will cut them in pieces. He has made that perfectly clear in his word in Zechariah. Verses 9 and 10. I will wait for you, O you his strength. For God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. So you remember that this is the very beginning of Saul chasing David. Yet we can see that David was a young man. It's going to be up to 10 years. He had made God his strength and defense. And I've mentioned this several times, but this is so important for us, for the younger men. I said us, for the younger men in the room. I'm not part of that group anymore. But for you younger men in the room, make sure that you allow God to be your defense. Because especially in our 20s and 30s, we just think we're invincible. You know, we're indestructible, that we can accomplish anything. And we try to go after those who might have hurt us or are planning on hurting us. But David here makes it perfectly clear that God will take care of those who are coming against us because God is a God of mercy. And he will show himself strong on behalf of his children. My God of mercy, in verse 10, shall come to meet me. David knew that. But that took patience. Verse 11 Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. So David didn't want God to actually slay them, kill them, but rather remove them and then scatter them. You see, at this point, I think it's pretty safe to say, again, that he was thinking of King Saul and those who were coming against him. Let them be a reminder, and here's the reason, let them be a reminder for those who desire to come against God and God's plans. And if you do the research, if you just do some simple research on the battles that have taken place since Israel has become a nation, you can see that God has defended them in every single battle. They didn't do it themselves. Yes, they were a part of it, but God was the one that spared them and saved them because God said he would. Verses 12 and 13. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath. Consume them. Notice again David's prayer life. That they may not be. And let them know that God rules in Jacob. To the ends of the earth. That God rules in Israel. You see God is a righteous judge. And he will judge righteously. Jesus warned the Pharisees about their words. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12. 36 and 37. Because Jesus even warned the Pharisees. Matthew 12. 36 and 37. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Now, I personally don't believe that this applies to the believer, but to those who think that they're good enough to get into heaven by their own good works. And, and why do I personally not you know, believe that? Well, verse, because of verse 37. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now we do have to be careful what we say as believers, obviously. 
But as far as heaven is concerned, we're never condemned from heaven's perspective. As you do a full study on the word of God, the Holy Spirit never condemns us. Never. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Now the Holy Spirit will condemn the world because they're already in condemnation. Before we became believers, scripturally, John chapter 3, we were in the world, so we were already under condemnation. Once we become a believer, we're no longer under condemnation. We are now under conviction. Conviction. And so as we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit raises our awareness of our sinful nature and then grants us repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So for me personally, and I wouldn't argue about it with anyone, I just personally don't believe that those, those, those verses apply to us in Matthew as believers. But they do apply to the unbeliever. You think you're saved? You think you're a good person? Let's evaluate that. Let's evaluate that. Verses 14 and 15 back in Psalm 59. And at evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. Again, remember, David's life is in jeopardy. He's just expressing himself so well. They wander up and down for food. They howl if they are not satisfied. So he's giving this word picture of literally a dog, but he's associating it with King Saul and the soldiers that are seeking after his life. But I will sing of your power. Even though I'm hunted, even though the forces are possibly innumerable around me, what am I going to do? But I will sing of your power. And I think that's important for you and I even this morning. Whatever you might be going through where you just feel like it's over, I'm overwhelmed as we even talked about last week. David just paints this beautiful picture of his own life which is so meaningful to us. Because we do get to these places of just being totally overwhelmed. What can I do? And David then gives us an, a, one answer amongst many. But I will sing of your power. Well, the sing of your power, I have to think of your power. And if I'm thinking of your power, I'm acknowledging that you're powerful. And that you're more powerful than those who are coming against me. It is very simple, but when we're in the midst of a trial or a tribulation, we forget the simplicity of God's word. And we try to take that upon ourselves. How am I going to deliver myself? How am I going to get out of this predicament? What can I do? What can I say? I'm sure you've all been there when you're going to approach someone and you even play it over in your head. Okay, well, I'm going to say this and then they're going to say that. Well, once they say that, then I'm going to say this. And then they'll probably say this. So then I'm going to say that. And you get up and you say what you're going to say and they don't say what you thought they were going to say. And then you're dumbfounded because you don't know what to say because you had it all thought out in your mind. Just allow the Holy Spirit to do the speaking for you and the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And there'll be words that most likely are filled with love, grace, and mercy. Because when we're in a fight, we're not throwing about love, grace, and mercy, are we? Typically, we're bringing up the past. We're trying to knock the person down. We're trying to elevate ourselves. Well, David doesn't elevate himself. He looks to God. As a young man, he looks to God. And he says, I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. David, you're being hunted. And he doesn't know it's going to be 10 years. But this is what David's doing. For you have been my defense. 
and refuge in the day of my trouble. I actually have these verses, 16, 17, highlighted in my Bible. And as I've often said, I encourage you to highlight your Bible. Mark it up, write in it. To you, oh my strength. God, you're my strength. I want to be my own strength. But I've got to be humble enough to admit, I'm not. David was young, in his 20s here. I'm not. You have to be my strength. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense. My God, notice this, my God, not their God, as an individual believer, is God your God. Now we'll say, yes, he's my God. We'll just quickly say, oh yes, he is my God. Okay, but is he your God? I mean, do you really know him? Do you really understand him? Do you really believe in him? Do you really believe that he's going to come through for you? Now, those are harder questions. And that takes us a little bit deeper. Because it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus and, and God is my, oh, yeah, God's my God. Well, then take it to the next step. How much time do you spend in prayer with the God who's your God? Uh-oh, don't get personal, Pastor. Don't start stepping on my toes. How much time do you spend reading about your God? Now, I woke up uh, this morning. I don't know what it was, but I think it was like 2 o'clock and couldn't go back to sleep. And so I, I just got, I went to my chair and got the Bible. I knew the Bible would put me back to sleep. Works every single time. Got through three chapters, went back to bed. But what do you fill your mind with? Is it turn on the TV? See what's on the TV at 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I'm dating myself. Now you got a thousand channels. No boredom. No We're signing off for the night. Now I'm really dating myself. None of you younger people are like, what is he talking about? Yeah, just forget about it. But anyways, you know, what do you do? You get on the internet? That'll keep you awake, that bright glow. Place is totally dark and you got this light shining in your face. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go back to sleep. My eyes are being infected by this light. Now get into the Word of God. It'll put you to sleep every single time. Praise God. You see, God is powerful enough to take care of the situation. God is merciful. This is what, this is what David is saying. God is merciful and will defend those who trust in Him. That's a guarantee. But how often do we live out that guarantee? I think for all of us, myself included, it's just our minds just automatically go to myself, 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 myself. And I have to forcibly go, no, I'm going to focus on God. I, I, I do that. I have to forcibly tell them, no, you're going to focus on God. He will be their shelter from the storm. And there's a lot of storms going on. Even in this flock, there are storms going on that you guys have no idea about each other. But that's why we gather, to love on one another during that meet and greet time, to, to learn a new name, to maybe even ask, hey, how can I pray for you this week? Don't be afraid to ask that with each other. The other person might be afraid to tell you, but maybe ask. And maybe they'll say, wow, that that's really cool. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like when we go out to restaurants, we typically ask our, our waitress or our waiter, how can I pray for you? We're going to pray over our food. How can we pray for you? Did that this past week, and the gal came back and gave us very specific things to pray for, and we prayed for that gal over the meal. So start asking questions. 
Because there's a lot of trials. There's a lot of storms going on in, in every one of our lives. But God, we've got to stay focused on God. He is our defense. He is a God of mercy. Psalm 60. Psalm 60. To the chief musician set to the lily of the testimony. That sounds a little bit better than do not destroy, doesn't it? The lily of the testimony. Sounds so nice. A victim of David for teaching when he fought against Mesopotamia and Syria of Zobah and Joab returned and killed 12,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. How would you like to announce this song on a Sunday morning? Okay, we're all going to sing. <laughs> this is a great song. Ay, ay, ay. This psalm takes us to the kingdom of David. He is the king of Israel now, the united kingdom of Israel. So he's at least been king now for at least six and a half years. Probably longer. We don't know exactly when. He's fought various battles. And King David is now fighting in northern Israel when southern Israel is invaded by the Edomites, southern Israel. And so Joab, one of David's top generals, was dispatched to the south in order to battle the Edomites just south of the Dead Sea. And you can find this story in First Chronicles chapter 18. First Chronicles chapter 18. So King David, through the power of God's help, won the battle in the north, went down to help Joab in the south, and eventually Israel subdued the surrounding nations. So verses 1 through 5. O oh God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. Oh, restore us again. I look at this at this point that David here is speaking for the Israelites who think that God has abandoned them because the Edomites who are fighting down south were having the initial victory. They were winning the battle. And so I believe that David here is just speaking for the nation as a whole. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches, for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion. You have given a banner to those who fear you that it may be displayed because of the truth. That your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and hear me. And hear me. You see, even though things were not looking good, David rallied the troops because of Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, was overseeing it all. And, and it's used only one time, that name following uh, Jehovah Nisi. It's used in Exodus 17:15, when Moses was on the mount and the Israelites were fighting against the Amalekites and they were lifting up the hands of Moses. God had promised David success, but that didn't mean continual success. And again, this is an important principle for you and me as believers. You see, if we're humble and open to the Holy Spirit, it's when we fail that we often learn the most. But notice that I prefaced it, if we're humble and open to the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we make mistakes and we're hard-hearted and pig-headed and we'll just try to knock down that same door again. I'll just try a little bit harder this time. Or I'll go at it from a different angle this time. I, I know I can do it. And there's the first problem. I. I. No, step back and allow God 
to be the one to deliver you. But learn from that mistake. This is so prevalent in uh, marriage ministry. I see this happening on a regular basis. Um, and I encourage you wives, let, the, let your husband be the priest of the house and make decisions. <gasps> I know that might terrify you. But if you're praying together, and I, I want to preface this a little bit, if you're praying together, you know, if you're reading the Bible individually, if you're both seeking after God, which is, I'm talking about an ideal marriage here, which we should have as Christians, we should be striving after that as Christians. If you submit to your husband, which you should, and he makes a mistake, which he will, I can guarantee you that he's going to repent, again, because he's humble, seeking after the Lord, reading the word, praying with you together. He's going to be humble enough to come back and say, you know what, I'm sorry I made a mistake. And I can guarantee you ladies, you wives, or you future wives, if you have that situation happening, that husband will not make that same mistake again. Because he's heard from the Lord. He's repented. He's heard from the Lord. He won't make that same mistake again, and he'll learn from that mistake. But unfortunately, what typically happens is prayer is not happening in, in the marriage. Bible reading is not happening in the marriage. And the guy says, I have to make the decision. And so the wife says, well, all right, go ahead. Whatever you think. You're the priest of the house, I guess. And so he makes the decision. It blows up in his face. And what does the wife do? Great job, honey. You knucklehead, I told you not to do that. But then what does the husband do? Typically. The husband will go, okay, I've got to show her. I've got to show her that I was right. So he'll go out and he'll make the same mistake or a similar mistake again, trying to prove his wife wrong. We've been doing marriage ministry for 30 years, guys. This isn't rocket science. I've heard it over and over and over again. So I'm just trying to tell you a principle. If you don't want to take heed, don't take heed. But this is reality. Read your Bibles. Pray together. Get it all on the table. And then step back and say, Honey, you make the decision. And then when it blows up in his face, you come back to him and say, You tried. We prayed. God's with us. It's going to be okay. You do that? Your husband's going to go... All right, I repent, I'm sorry, that won't happen again. And it won't. Just a little insight for you, for whatever, you didn't even pay for that. Just popped into my mind. God has spoken in his holiness, I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. So he's referencing nations that are within Israel. He's also going to reference some enemies. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab, now outside, is my wash pot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Philista, shout with triumph because, shout in triumph because of me. You see, David's prayer was heard and God answered him and God had provided the victory for Israel in the past and he would provide for them in the future. You see, God had given the land to Israel as a witness of his power and faithfulness, not because they were right on. Even today, most of Israel is agnostic or atheist, if you can believe that. You go over there, most of the Israelites are agnostic. Yeah, there might be a God, but I don't know if I can know him. Or atheist, there is no God. And you might think, well, how could that be? They're in the land of Israel. They're God's children. Well, you've got to think it through because almost everyone that's in Israel 
had a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, a sibling go through the Holocaust. Where's God? If we're his chosen people, why did he allow my grandpa to, to die? My grandma to die? If there's a God, why would he allow my aunt and uncle to be met, walked into gas chambers? Where is this God you speak of? So I totally understand, and that's why we need to pray for them. That they would really understand, no, you know, there's a, there was something behind the scenes that you don't realize, that I don't realize, and we probably won't realize till we get to heaven. You see, and David makes the point here as we look, look at this list of cities, no matter what the name of the city is, God can and will deliver him from his enemies. He left after winning up north, and again, David headed down south for yet more victories in 9 through 12. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble. For the help of man is useless. You might want to highlight that. Now this, again, we don't want to paint with a wide brush and nobody can help me and i got to do this myself. you got to put yourself in David's sandals. They've lost. Who's going to help us? God has to help us. Joab lost. Through God, so David now says, to wrap it all up, through God we will do valiantly. For it is He who shall tread down our enemies. You see, David didn't trust in the strength of his armies. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 12. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. See, David knew that he needed God to go out with him wherever he went. And again, it can be easy to place our trust in ourselves or to place our trust in others. And again, a certain amount of trust is necessary in every relationship. So, be careful. But the ability to deliver from the enemy of our soul comes from the Lord alone. Ephesians 6, 10. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. As the music team comes forward. Notice what it does not say. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in Jim and in the power of Claudia's might. It does not say that. And that's where we fail as believers. We insert our own names there. Whether you're single or married, young or old, we insert our name. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the tactics of the devil. Because as we've just read these three Psalms, you might think, well, that's, you know, it doesn't relate to me. We're not doing those things nowadays. It relates to you. Because you and I are fighting against a spiritual force that we don't see. David could see the physical force. We need to rally the troops. We need to win this battle. And for you and I this day, it's very hard because we don't see necessarily the physical. We look at our mate as the enemy. Or the kids are our enemy. Or my supervisor is the enemy. And we've got to lift our eyes to heaven and see what's going on behind the scenes. Because the devil has tactics. Why? Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And again, I have that highlighted. And you might want to ask yourself a simple question. Who are you wrestling against today? Who are you wrestling against today? Is it your supervisor? Is it the rent collector? Who are you wrestling against? And how's that battle going? 
You wrestling against your mate? How, how's that battle going? I'm exhausted. Then you might want to stop. Pray. Get into the word of God. Get other believers to pray alongside you. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Believers, this is who we're wrestling against. As we come together to meet, uh, various churches come together to meet and to bless our community. The enemy is going to come against that. The enemy is going to come against you volunteering for Compassion Cream Creek. Oh, you don't have time. Oh, that's a Saturday. Oh, you've got many other things that you can be doing. The enemy is going to be doing that and may have already done that this morning, even as Pastor Al was up here sharing. Because we're all busy. I mean, that's just life. And so we have to prioritize and look at our busyness and say, do I need to be that busy or should I commit? And the enemy is going to come against you and say, oh, no, you can't do that. What do, you, what do you know about the Bible? How do you know about talking to people? What do you know about compassion? Blah, 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 blah. See, it's very per- practical and applicable this morning. David had battles. We have battles. Let's look at, well, you don't have to look. We got the slides. Second Corinthians 10.5. Matt, you guys can come on up. Terrence. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is the spiritual battle. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How can you win that battle? By bringing every thought into captivity. And then the final, Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in horses. I mean, some trust in chariots. And some in horses. Some in the government. Some in their 401k. Some in their mate. Some in other relationships. No. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. That you are the one that we trust in. That you are the one who will deliver us. That you are the one, Father, that will be glorified in and through our lives. Lord, you're so good to us. You're so faithful. And we know you have a plan and a purpose. And so we thank you and praise you for Compassion Queen Creek. And that we can reach out. We can reach out to our community. And we're not even going knocking on doors. They're coming to us. They're going to be coming to the location to be ministered to. It can't get any easier than that. So Lord, help us to... to support this outreach as various churches, Bible-believing Christian churches, come together from our community to come under the banner of one church. Help us to be available to do what you'd have us to do to minister to our community. That people would get saved. They're going to get their physical needs taken care of. But Lord, we also want to see people get saved and that people will be handed Bibles and handed information on local churches and encouraged people to get plugged in. Father, that's why we're here, to minister to our community. So use us for your glory. We thank you and we praise you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. When we stand, guys, God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for coming out. Wasn't the Super Bowl fun last week? Man, that was so much fun. Oh, sorry, Karen. Sorry. (laughs) 
I love close games. I didn't care who won. It was just fun. Guys, if you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you need Jesus, come up this morning. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you guys.